0: Hello and welcome to building sustainability podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the natural builder. Building sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome. This is episode 35. In this episode, I'm talking to Kiran Pereira. About the issues around the extraction of sand. Before I give Kieran the full intro, I just wanted to say if this is your first building sustainability, then welcome. Thanks for joining us. If sustainability in the built environment is your interest, then take a look around the previous episodes. I think you will find some things you like. And for those who heard the last episode with Kit Jones, one of the earthbuilding trainees we talked about a guy called Saurabh who gave a presentation at last year's Clayfest. Earth earthbuilding uk and ireland have just uploaded that talk to their youtube channel so i will chuck a link in the show notes uh, and one final thing before i properly introduce kieran uh, i'm looking for sponsors for this podcast so if you or someone you know is a good sustainable business then get in touch okay enough of my blabber so Kiran promotes the topic of sand sustainability through her website sandstories.org and as of tomorrow has just published a book called Sand Stories: Surprising Truths About the Global Sand Crisis and the Quest for Sustainable Solutions. The little blurb about the book says, In Sand Stories, Kiran Pereira examines why sand is the most consumed commodity on the planet after water, as well as the impacts of this seemingly insatiable demand for sand so we talk about methods of extraction and the issues that come from them i was definitely encouraged by kieran's optimism in the face of an issue so very large and in fact this conversation starts with me explaining why sand sustainability was an issue too far when i discovered it and that i couldn't get my head around it Um, i should say as well that I only noticed when I listen back to this, but I think Kieran calls me an architect. I'm not. I am just a lowly builder and very happy at that too. Good. Enjoy the episode and I will be back at the end.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: my introduction to the idea that you know there was a sustainability issue with sand uh, came a few years ago and I was in the middle of of building a, a big eco home and to be given this knowledge that actually there was there was issues in sustainability for sand was too much to take on uh, I felt like I was, you know, doing everything I could to make the super insulated building using local natural materials, and then suddenly it's like, oh no, sand is now the, the thing, and I just couldn't deal with it. You know, it was one one step too far.
2: Yeah, I understand. I mean. In, in- Imagine you're an architect and you feel this way just imagine the general person on the street you know who's it's just a palm oil and food and you know it's just too much for most people I think and that's yeah. why uh that's possibly one of the reasons why you've not seen as much traction on this because it's just one too many resources that are you know called into question kind of a thing yeah. um yeah but there but there are solutions and that's what I'd like to drive home yeah
0: great Okay, well, I mean, let's. I mean, let's first of all talk uh, talk about sand uses because I think, certainly in my industry, you know, we all know it as the basis of uh, concrete or or lime or earth, but it's not just used for that, is it?
2: No. Um, so there are diff- uh, there are top the, the top three uses are um, we extract minerals from sand that go into everything you see around you. Um, so uh, minerals that go into paints and plastics and paper and toothpaste and, uh, you know, so stuff like that. Um, we extract. It's also used for energy generation methods. If you think about methods like fracking, for example, m- many people know that uh, fracking uses massive volumes of water, but what mm-hmm. they might not know is that it also requires tremendous amounts of sand. So, okay. Uh, a normal fracking well today uses about – 50 to 70 rail cars of sand for one well, okay. And how long? So the tracking process lasts about, I don't know, 35, 40 days, it might go up to 60 days. But we're talking about a resource that has taken 500 million years to form. You know, that kind of puts it in perspective. We're talking about raising hills to the ground and feeding that as a and into... uh, So we're using basically one non-renewable resource to get at another non-renewable resource. <laughs> and I don't know how we think this can be sustainable. So that just, um, yeah, I, I stop and think and it abuses me sometimes, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> fracking, fracking is one method that we use then. Uh, we also require, if we talk about, renewable energy and climate action or all, all the good things for example uh, solar panels largely are made of silicon and and you know that comes from quartz so again we're talking about um crushing quartz stone you know or, or sandstone or quartz or uh, you know things like that that are renew non-renewable to produce this so it's yeah. very important i think i think unlike nature's way of working which recycles things quite seamlessly you never you never find waste so to say you know <laughs> waste is always reused and repurposed and transformed in, into something beautiful I think humans and our way of working is very siloed it's, it, we use stuff and we end up producing it's a very linear economy so it's we produce tremendous amount of waste and um, we're not thinking about end of life at the start, at the design stage. So we end up using so many chemicals or so many toxic materials. That's really not conducive to ensuring, a, you know, a circular economy. So
0: mm-hmm. I'm still a little bit blown away by the uh, the, the fracking uh, <laughs> the, that, that uh, revelation. And and you you said uh, that it takes how
2: many million years to to create sand? So sand is predominantly formed by weathering so this is a process where temperature or rain or wind you know uh, pressure factors like these kind of act on the rock and break it down into gravel and then gravel breaks down further into so it takes thousands of years to form one grain of sand as sometimes even millions of years to form that grain of sand uh, and it's a cycle so uh, so sand can then get compressed to form rocks and you know but this happens over geological time scales where it's it's definitely far beyond human time scales um so it, while it does get recycled and repurposed in in well essentially we're saying that sand is a non-renewable resource because it the the kind the amount of sand that we use today will not be replenished in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes, for that matter. So yeah. we really have to use it very, very carefully.
0: Is there a sort of an idea of how how quickly we'll run out of sand?
2: Is it, is it a thing that we're going to run out of? So um, the way to look at it is that we are running out of easily available deposits. Um, and this is uh, because the not all kinds of, for, for example, desert sand is not suitable because it's too rounded and smooth, uh, doesn't offer structural integrity for concrete and that sort of thing. There are ways to use it, but it's not generally used, you know, on a large scale. Um, so because the natural availability of of the right types of sand is so limited and is so variable, um, we're running out of what's easily available. Now, governments can always offer more mining concessions, but the environmental, social, economic, geopolitical um, costs of the sand are increasing quite steeply, as, as uh, I hope to demonstrate in the book. Yeah.
0: You've said that uh, desert sand is is not uh, usable for for say concrete. Mm-hmm. But where where are we getting sand from that is usable?
2: So. Um, I don't know if you've watched Sand Wars, the documentary. I have. Yes. You have. Okay. So that that was um, even though I was I did my masters on this particular topic and I studied at King's College. I came here to I grew up in Bangalore in India and uh, where I witnessed the kind of um, you know destruction and devastation caused by indiscriminate sand mining. And I came here to do a masters and this was the topic of my of my studies basically. This is what I focused on. Um, and despite being in the field, that's, that documentary it caught me by surprise. There were so many things that I was like, what? Is that true? Uh, yeah, so it was really fascinating to learn that um, Dubai was importing sand all the way from Australia. That was and crazy. That, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> and now there are, there have been reports that Singapore is doing the same, it, is uh, now importing sand from Australia because Australia has the ability to to uh, provide um, sand that has been sourced responsibly, so to say, you know, so... Mm-hmm.
0: Um, where, where are they getting their, their sand from, is it?
2: When you say they, who do you mean?
0: Uh, sorry, Australians.
2: Oh, no, they're, they're getting it from land-based quarries. Okay. Yeah, and, and then supplying it to Singapore.
0: Okay. Well, I guess uh, looking at it in a larger sense, so we can get it from land-based quarries, uh, we can get it from the sea...
2: Yes. So what happens is, so you uh, sand is often mined from land-based quarries. It's um, it's mined from the bottom of the sea. It's mined from riverbeds, riverbanks, um, but the demand is so fierce that it's causing, um, it's causing many farmers to kind of mine <laughs> sand. Okay. because farming is such a uh, you know in a sense unreliable particularly with climate change and you know things like that this is at least a way they find to feed their families so in a sense you find it's a threat to food security as well in many regions because of the just because of the scale it's just so it's beyond anything any other resource that you can think about
0: sure yeah i wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about the yeah, you know, the extraction or you know, how where it's coming from and what that's sort of doing to to the places. So we've got rivers, sea seabeds and land extraction. Mm-hmm. Should we should we go through and, and talk about let's start with, you know, say rivers I
2: and mean, what what does heavy extraction of, of sand do to a river? It does tremendous amount of damage because rivers are living systems, unlike land-based quarries. So most of these deposits that we are using have been laid down by um, glaciers in previous ice ages. That's why you find concentrated resources you know, that, that are available for use. Um, when you talk about rivers, it's we tend to look at it, industries tend to look at it like it's just doing nothing out there. But that's not true. It is, it is critical habitat. That's where the fish spawn. And and feed, uh, you know. And so, when we remove sand, we are removing essentially removing habitat, um, you know, for all bottom-dwelling creatures, for all larger fish that feed on these bottom-dwelling creatures, things like that. Um, so, sand also allows uh, water to percolate into the groundwater table. So. You uh you find in places like India, Sri Lanka, many even countries in Africa, that the groundwater table has started falling simply because of this removal of sand. It causes rivers, it erodes the uh the river bank, channels become unstable. So then you find that the you know, rivers um start flowing faster, they kind of erode the banks, they they can cause flooding in in um neighbouring locations, things like that, Uh, that can be quite damaging. It can affect agriculture along riverbanks. It can affect fisheries, because when you extract sand, uh, it kind of muddies the water. So it kind of chokes the gills of fish and other organisms there. Uh, Species that are mobile tend to move away, but they still lose access to food sources and, and to spawning areas, you know, things that they had before that they no longer have now. Um, so that kind of impact is also seen when you talk about so many developing economies tend to rely on sand dredged up from riverbeds and you know because nature has done the work for for, uh, for us already in, in terms of uh, giving us the right shape and size of the sand grains and things. Um, but developed economies, particularly the UK and you know s- several other we, we tend to depend on sand that has been uh, dredged up from the bottom of the ocean. That uh, It's done in a legal manner, licensed areas, all of that. The dredges are fitted with black boxes at all times. Uh, but there are still problems even with that. So you find that uh, fisheries are very concerned about what's happening to their fish stocks You know because of this. They are forced into tighter and tighter areas where they have to uh, fish. And so there's increasing competition for in a smaller amount of space kind of a thing you know so it affects them and their livelihood as well um dredging is to put in in very simple simplistic terms it's it's a kind of uh, imagine using a vacuum cleaner to kind of hoover all the sand that's there you know that's pretty much what a dredger does so it kind of uh, it vacuums up everything that's there uh, in that particular spot um, and if the client demands I don't know gravel then they kind of uh, release this smaller size particles, sand uh, and keep the gra- gravel aboard and ship it to the nearest location or if, this, if the client's specification is for for sand then they kind of release gravel so there's this kind of separation that happens on board but this kind of uh uh, process can again cause a lot of turbidity in the water. It can affect it can affect corals, for example. It can um, smother them. So then it 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 cuts off life giving sunlight. So you know, and that's a problem mm. for uh, for life beneath water. Um, in the UK alone, since 1955, we have extracted over 500 million tons of sand and gravel. Um, that's a lot, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, a, and if you think about this resource is not going to be replenished, um, can we continue in this trajectory is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Uh, What kind of world are we going to leave behind for future generations if we continue along the same path? Yes, it's done legally, but it's still a resource that will not be replenished. Yeah. So... How, uh, how do we strike a balance? How do we, yeah, so that's that's the kind of question that I'd like to raise. Excellent.
0: And uh, one of the, the striking images I, I saw in the, the Sand Wars documentary was the images of these dredges. I mean, they're huge. I mean, I can't really describe the scale of them. They're enormous. And, you know, just how much sand, but also must be life and, you know, diversity that they're just, sort of indiscriminately sucking up uh yeah it was like something from a a sort of dystopian uh horrible future that the world faces uh but it's it's actually happening now
2: yeah i i think the uh justification we seem to see is that it it uh it's for the economy you know people Mm -hmm. need houses and people need homes and that sort of thing uh but there's a fundamental assumption there that people can't build houses without sand, and that's not necessarily true. You know, you do find examples where people are exploring other options. You find um, you find timber now that's growing in popularity. Uh, mm. You find people using straw bale homes, which are a fantastic example uh I, I, they can they can help us meet our climate ambitions they, you know it's a co-product so it doesn't require any more space to to grow um to set aside area that was meant for growing food it's a product that's usually wasted so you know there are so many examples we just need to put on think creatively i think humans are incredibly creative and we can come up with solutions it calls for political will it calls for collaboration um and it, i think it's possible
0: yes it's uh, it's very difficult i'm sure the uh, the people doing the dredging uh, and probably every step down the line are making probably a sizable amount of money and why would they why would they want to change
2: that's a million dollar question
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I, I think it also um, kind of feeds into the economy so you know export of these these resources is also a key uh, Economic um, focus of the government, so uh, I think there's a great need to really look at governance structures and, and examine um, who's benefiting and how, in at what cost.
0: Yeah. So who? We'll come back to that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, who owns the seabed? Um, so the Crown Estate does. Okay. So it's so the Crown Estate. Is what, licensing parts of this, the seabed? Yes,
2: yes. And, and it's, it is, uh, I do want to stress that it's done legally and it's done, uh, you know, with tremendous, um, so there, so, um, there are pre-dredge surveys that happen and post-dredge surveys that are also meant to happen. Um, I think the bone of contention for many community organisations is that the project promoter, who's a dredger, judging company, they they are responsible for not only reporting the problem, but also finding solutions. They are responsible for sourcing, finding, commissioning, paying for the environmental impact assessments. So um, is it really, is it really neutral? Is it really, you know, uh, something that we can depend on is a question that many community organisations are asking. Mm-hmm. Um and many uh, regulatory agencies now work on a project approach so they they cannot undertake any activity unless somebody agrees to pay for it first either industry or government and um that kind of uh puts them in a very tight position if you will and um, so we definitely need to look deeper into this
0: yeah so it's it's my understanding it's, well you've said in the uk we've been uh dredging from the, the
2: sea bed it's not that... all uh, there are land-based qu- quarries as well
0: yeah. okay oh yeah we were going to talk about land-based quarries so that's um how does that work in in terms of how is uh how is the, the sand extracted in
2: the in the uk yeah uh so um there are sites of um Um, there are specific allocated sites and, um, you know, there are different regulatory agencies that look at whether um, this falls under, you know, protected area, things like that. And um, um, quarries are given specific, you know, specific number of years and stuff like that. And uh, I imagine they are, enforced as well so mm-hmm. yeah and then
0: i mean in terms of uh just the sort of physical act of of that are they removing are they quarrying rocks and then breaking them down
2: as well it's not an either or so yeah. it, all this thing uh, you know, rocks are crushed to, to to get uh aggregate of the required size you do find sand being quarried you do find um gravel being extracted from okay
0: and is that it seems like that would be a less destructive uh, way of of getting sand than, say, a, a riverbed or, you know, in terms of uh, wildlife, sort of, you know, in the way the way that
2: water moves and things. like that. We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with the old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Yes, so r- rivers are definitely they're living systems. So when you tamper with something, you know you you can't predict what else will change. So uh, it's definitely safer to get it from land-based quarries, but of course these need to be carefully controlled um, in 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 the UK and many other parts. Th- these are mostly like, controlled, very controlled spaces. But in uh, places like India, for example, quarries do spring up you know, in protected reserves or unregulated zones. So, um, yeah, I can't say, I can't, you know, you can't use a blanket statement that says extracting sand from land is better because there are all these, the context is critical. Yes, absolutely.
0: So uh, you you spoke a little bit about the the sort of unregulated uh, extraction that's going on in India. Yeah, what's happening there?
2: sand is uh, the new gold right so sand is <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's it's such a critical resource for concrete and concrete has become the kind of uh, people aspire to concrete buildings you know <laughs> so um it's um so you because because sand is such a a necessary part of concrete, six, sand and gravel, 60 to 70% of 70, 75% of uh, uh, concrete by volume. So it's, um, even glass, for example, flat glass requires, you know, in any batch composition of glass is about 70% silica sand. So it's such a, a necessary component that you find, um, and yet at the same time, Everyday uh, conversations rarely talk about sand. The only time we talk about sand is when we want to go on a holiday. We're planning a beach, you know, holiday, that sort of thing. So it's uh, this kind of, um, I don't know, it it, it seems to fall in a blind spot somehow. Um, And so it's been quite easy. There's a sand mafia. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's quite... uh, shocking that that you find people getting killed and um threatened intimidated uh really horrifying things uh and and the, and the cause is sand yeah. that's really um yeah it's kind of it's hard to, it, it's you know if you're looking for a topic where fact is stranger than fiction i think this is it <laughs>
0: Yes. Um, so I was reading on your website that sand is the, the third biggest global crime. Is that right?
2: Yes, that's what um, this organisation in Brazil has uh, has has found out. Uh, there's more, much more research needed on, on uh, this particular topic. Yeah. I imagine, imagine um, going forward, we'll get to see more.
0: Yeah. I mean, that seems it seems crazy. I mean, how's that? How's that sort of playing out? In well, in places like India.
2: Um. So I've been attending um, something called the India Rivers Week. They so they had four regional dialogues um, where uh, you had policymakers, you had lawyers, you have activists, you have river experts. You know, kind of coming together and and uh, for a panel discussion. And it's been so fascinating to to hear. Um, although I grew up in India and I, I'm now based in London, I, I think I hadn't realized it was so bad. It, it's, it really sounds, um, it's quite incredible that we kind of still don't know how much sand is being extracted from all these places. And, um, and there's a mafia in many places. And sometimes in other places we call them the mafia, but they're really the they're really people who live in that region. You know, they're really the locals who, for for want of a better uh, livelihood or for want of a better way of feeding their families, they have no option but to kind of mine sand. And yeah, uh, so I think we need to think about how we can uh, provide employment and 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 a livelihood for. Thousands and millions of people, without yeah. you know, destroying, damaging the environment.
0: Yes, uh, there was a fascinating story um, on your uh, the crowdfunder for your for your book. You gave us a sample uh, section of text, and there was a story about fisher fishermen who are no longer fishing for fish, but fishing mm. for sand.
2: Yeah, uh, and that was heartbreaking for me. Uh, it was part of uh, it was when I travelled so. Uh, when i when i did my master's um to be honest after it uh, after completion i was so distressed <laughs> um, because when i traveled to Mumbai or the villages around Mumbai and i saw what was happening to these fisher folk they've been fisher folk for for generations i mean yeah, fathers grandfathers you know that, that sort of thing they know their river like the back of their hand but the river is changing so rapidly with all this sand extraction that's happening—that the they're, the they're only source of employment, the only livelihood that they that they have—is now that their, their indigenous knowledge is becoming obsolete. Uh, it's no longer serving them. So, yeah, it was really quite distressing for me uh, until I decided to shake myself, you know, and <laughs> kind of write a blog and see what happens. Yeah, and that's how. It brought me into contact with Denise uh, Delastrak, who was making sandbores. And uh, he invited me to be interviewed for sandbores. And I've never looked back ever since. So it's been, (laughs) yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. I'm I'm, I'm learning so much each day, you know, it's just incredible. This topic is, it, it branches out and touches so many aspects of our life. I don't think I'd ever get bored of sand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, that's funny. I think a lot of people would think it's a very simple thing to understand,
2: right? But yeah. well, it's not. Yeah. It's anything but.
0: Um, so yeah, I'm interested. Let's um, let's sort of delve into yeah. Let's talk about people's lives. So yeah, we spoke briefly there about the the, the fishermen who are who are now fishing for sand instead of instead of fish um yeah what what other ways uh, is it affecting people
2: um if you look at the global sustainable development goals, sand mining intersects with every single one of those um if you talk about um for example in place in Uganda and Kenya, you have children who are dropping out of school um uh, in order to mine sand um, because sand mining pays more than traditional farming does um Every board is immediate, unlike education where you go to school for 10 years, you may or may not get a job, who knows, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So the temptation to stay out of school school is very real. Um, If you talk about no poverty or uh, I'm looking up here because I have the sustainable development goals right here, Uh, no poverty, zero hunger, you find people whose livelihood is being decimated so they have no option but to uh, mine sand and that kind of further end- end- endangers their um there's forced migration because if if you talk about if they have no other way of feeding themselves what do they do they, they're they're forced to k- kind of migrate to cities and then cities become overcrowded and the facilities are you know so it's it's a vicious cycle so these um, these are
0: people that have lost their livelihoods due to sand being extracted. Then yes to the only way to survive is to then extract sand themselves. Yes. Oh, A- and that's and, awful. and
2: and yes. <laughs> yeah, it it is. It's it really is. Um and in many in in some places, like in India for example, let's talk about that. Uh these fishermen belong to the lower castes and so uh, whereas the fishing, whereas the dredgers and the barges are owned by elites. Um, and so the police are very, very um, reluctant to kind of lodge FIRs and complaints and things like that. But without a registered complaint, a complaint police complaint, these people cannot get bank loans to repair their nets or the, repair the, you know, broken boats or things like that. So it drives them deeper into poverty. They're forced to go to money lenders to kind of uh, make ends meet. And then that causes, you know, a whole spiral of indebtedness for generations. They are locked into this vicious cycle. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, really policymakers need to take all this into account uh, mm. because it's not reflected in the cost of sand at all. Oh, we've talked a little bit, sort of social and
0: economic um what's what's happening sort of in terms of well i've seen seen sea erosion and and sort of big dramatic images of of uh, coastal towns kind of falling into the sea
2: what's happening there um so i think we need more studies to uh, conclusively say what's happening there because it's it's um although there have been some studies that have been uh, they haven't been followed up um so there's Definitely more uh, evidence needed. And I imagine going forward, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, you know, find more scientists coming, doing precise studies and giving us more mm-hmm. information.
0: So are you saying that it's, it's not entirely sort of proven that, that all the extraction of sand from, say, the mm-hmm. sea is, is causing you know, uh, faster coastal erosion.
2: And uh, so, if you so if you saw in sand bores, it, it shows you how uh, when you dredge from some, it create, kind of um, sand moves in to fill that space, that vacuum. So yes, it does cause, but the extent and how much it is contributing to erosion is not something that we I can I can say. Uh, this is, I think, something that requires further study, and mm-hmm. I imagine. Um, I, I also imagine it depends on location. Um, the kind of sand, uh, kind of aggregate that's being extracted from that particular place. Um, yeah, so uh, I imagine we will uh, find out more in in the coming years. Okay. Uh, so the UNEP has released a, a report, a global report in 2019. I'm not sure if you saw it's sand and sustainability, where they talk about how uh, the scale of the problem is so huge that it's one of the biggest sustainability. Sustainability challenges of the 21st century. Uh, it, they also offer solutions in terms of uh, look for alternate materials, uh, reduce the use of sand. So over design and, you know, if, if uh, things like that need to be reduced. Yeah. So solutions like that, I think are, are key.
0: Solutions. Yes. Uh, that, that's sort of something I'd like to, to talk about because it's, um, well, it'll make my uh, my anxiety uh, <laughs> go a little bit better if I can see some some hope.
2: Oh, there's definitely hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I'm not an architect, but I think I, I, find, uh, I find it very comforting to know that there's so much action happening on the circular economy front, you know, that people are exploring options of how we are extracting a tremendous amount of resources from our natural world. If there's a way that we can um, reuse that material. I think it it would be a win win for nature. It would be a win win for us, uh, and that really is the way forward. Um, what what I, does um, the reuse
0: look like? Is that sort of crushing down old buildings, or is that
2: it's context specific? Like like I said, um, in in places where infrastructure is already built up, I think the Architect journal says the greenest building is the one that already. Uh, is you know the one that already exists, and I think uh, I'm be- I I can get behind that 100%. It really is uh, a way of finding a way to not tear down those buildings, make but make them work. Uh, kind of uh, you know see how we can make them work. But in cases where we do need to tear down buildings, um, gl- on a global scale, over one third of resources that are c- construction and demolition waste. Um, is recovered and reused, and the rest goes to landfill. I mean, under one third of, you know, so, um, so that's a huge amount of waste that we're talking about. When it comes at such a cost to the environment and all this cost is externalized onto societies and onto the environment, I definitely think we should be looking at how we can reuse that material. Um, So yes, crushing it down into its constituent components, um, to see how we can that can be reused in 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 concrete um and other applications um could be an important solution and there are tremendous um i mean there are examples that i've quoted in my book there's this company called c d e global which uh makes machinery for recycling um aggregate construction and development aggregate and they and their partners together they have managed at the end of uh as of today for example they have managed to divert about 80 million tons of construction and development waste that would have gone to landfill. Um, I I think that's the kind of change that we need to see at scale. Yeah. And and there are definitely pockets of people working on solutions. What we need is to bring them together. And, and, you know, so that kind of can give us a much more um, cohesive solution. Mm -hmm. Is
0: there any alternative to sand? Is there a a thing that could just be be sort of substituted.
2: I mean there are experiments going on in different places parts of the world some people are uh trying to use plastic i'm not sure that's a that's necessarily a solution <laughs> <laughs> uh, so because in places where waste management where plastic is really overtaking any waste management um solutions in in those contexts they feel that using plastic could be you know um could be a win-win uh, debatable but some people are trying that other people are trying uh, to create aggregate with rubber tires um so
0: it sounds like there's uh, certainly those two options seem to me like uh they are Maybe going to solve one problem and create many more. Uh, Possibly, yes. That's yeah. why it's
2: so important to look at the big picture before we be, we you know decide on solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Great. So, you know, what can your regular builder do? Uh, you know, someone maybe doing up their own home or like changes that we can make on a
2: on a small scale. What What can we do to to help? I think what's the the missing missing piece to all of this is awareness really. Um, um, so it's it's critical that, that all builders, anybody who works with sand and gravel knows that this is a precious resource. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be replenished in our lifetimes or, you know, future generations. So it's really, really important to treat it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means not just having these discussions, but also uh, seeing if you can Explicitly use, like, specify the use of recycled sand. Um, that would be that would be huge, you know. When you see that there's there's a demand, supply automatically finds a way to to meet that demand. Um, so create a demand for it. Really uh, ask for recycled sand. Ask for um, alternate materials. You find like, use timber, use straw, rammed earth. You know, so many natural building techniques are so inspiring. They don't require you to uh, go out of your way to,
0: to do good. Great. Oh, I, what I probably should have asked you at the beginning, actually, um, it says on your, your website that you experienced the, the sort of troubles of, of sand extraction firsthand in India. What, what was your experience of, of that?
2: Some of my earliest memories have to do with uh, going out to fetch water Uh, to help my family to fetch water at the public tap. And this, we had to wake up at two or three in the morning to go And there there was always a queue, lots of people at the public tap, pushing, fighting, you know. It was really something that left a deep impression on me. Um, I mean, we moved houses and life became more normal in air quotes, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I didn't think too much about it until the point when I decided to study further and then kind of look back um and realize how what a formative experience this was because um removing sand from sand and gravel from riverbeds really uh impacts the water table it impacts um so it co- you know it can be it can cause um uh, much more damage than we are aware of at the moment um that that was one example. Also, when I was actually uh, doing the field study for for my master's dissertation, and I visited these places, um, there was a point when I, when the local activist guide was taking us around, we had hired a taxi to go, and I write about this in the in the book. I we had hired a taxi, and um, we were standing on a bridge all of 5 minutes and the guide was pointing at illegal embankments that had been built into the river so that the barges could be unloaded onto trucks and you know it could be the sand could be shipped off to market easily all illegally of course and within 5 minutes you had a youth on a motorcycle you know uh, who, who was relaying a, a description of us my brother and I and the driver and the car license plate to somebody on the telephone, it was intimidating as a a, wouldn't do it justice, you know. It was like, wow, five minutes, Um, that that sort of thing. It really left a deep sense of unease. It's just, we're just talking about sand and that can get somebody into trouble. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the kind of, um, how important a resource this is. So yeah. it's really, really critical to find alternatives to use renewable yeah. resources. Um, um, they, there's a, another fascinating part of
0: the um, uh, of the the chapter you've posted on online, which was uh, just sort of documenting. Uh, I think it was a contractor, and their their sort of denial of of this of sand being an issue, and their their sort of view that it was to to put up the prices, and it was all a, a sort of an economic scam i guess mm. is that is that a thing that you've you've run into a lot that's sort of unfortunately
2: uh, unfortunately yes I, I think the supply chain is so extended you, we do, we really don't architects really don't know where their sand and gravel is coming from neither do you know so it's just uh, uh because there are so many players involved in the supply chain it's hard to believe what you don't see mm. you know um, but it is the truth. It, it's just um, the scale is unlike any other resource. Well, I think uh,
0: I think that's why your your book and the work you're doing is is so good because it brings it into you know human levels and human interactions. That's really important for people to to actually understand.
2: Oh, thank you so much.
0: That's quite <laughs> that's all right. Encouraging, yeah. Well, is there is there more? You know, we've we've sort of given a, an overview of. Uh, Kind of what's going on in the in the sand world is there is there more that people should should know about or, or aspects that you think are really important to touch on? Um,
2: I just reiterate that there are solutions, so it's important not to feel uh, overwhelmed. It's important not to put our heads in the sand. You know, <laughs> uh, it's important to this problem is not going to get sorted or go away. You know, it's it's something that we need to look at. Uh, face head on and deal with it Mm. Um, we are incredibly creative I think um, we have tremendous amount of engineering proficiency I'm sure we can come up with solutions and find a way uh, find workarounds
0: Thank you so much to Kieran for taking the time to speak with me. Um, I know that she was very busy finalising details of her book, so to make the time was excellent. Um, It's released tomorrow, so for the vast majority of people listening, uh, it's already out. Uh, But for me, uh, I'm just going to have to assume that all the details you need to get your hands on the book are available at sandstories.org. I personally will be doing the same myself. Can't wait. At the moment, actually, there's a free chapter available on her website. So do check that out. She's got a very enjoyable writing style. Um, Okay, so before I go, just wanted to say a little more about my ask at the beginning of the episode for sponsors. Um, There are topics and directions i'd like to take this podcast Uh, and i think if i can get a couple of sponsors on board it will enable me to take on some travels to meet more people doing excellent things um so i've got some ideas for podcast series within building sustainability Uh, so for example looking at craft and crafters in more detail i'd love to get a boat across to the u.s and and travel across the u.s meeting some of their excellent people yeah And and maybe if I got a sponsor that could sponsor multiple episodes, that little influx of cash could enable me to do that. Who knows? Maybe even a sponsor isn't the right way to do it. And maybe there's a grant. If anyone out there is a a grant application whiz uh, and knows of, of a pot of money that might be available to someone promoting sustainable causes, yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you can help in any way. Yeah, i really thoroughly enjoy making this podcast. Just needs a little bit of financial backing uh, to make it a sustainable thing for me. But we'll see. As always, uh, if you'd like to support directly, then you can head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. And if you can't do that, because who has spare cash at this time of year? mid-pandemic then please take a moment just to share this episode to anyone that might like it yeah i think that's it so thank you very much for listening right to the end as a special gift because i imagine most people switched off as soon as i started waffling i just wanted you to know that right now i have a duvet over my head and that's what enables this luxurious sound quality there you go That's our little secret. Don't tell all the others. Thank you, everybody. Till next time. See ya.